0: It is good to be here with you today. My name is Patrick. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am thankful for this opportunity to open up God's word with you today. So take your Bibles if you have one and turn to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. We are going to be continuing through our series on the life of Joseph this morning. And the title of our message today is Joseph and the Better Home. Joseph and the better home. The the scriptures describe the people of God as sojourners, as exiles in a foreign land, as citizens of a different kingdom. And so this means that the earth that we inhabit today is not our eternal home. And it also means that there will be times when we will and we should feel out of place. We will stand out because we are called to look vastly different than the world around us. I remember when I was back in college my sophomore year, I I went to Appalachian State and my friends and I decided to go to an away game in Blacksburg, Virginia. We were playing Virginia Tech and App State had formed a reputation of being a strong opponent. We were we had knocked off some highly ranked teams, there was a buzz around App State, and so we thought this was a perfect opportunity to go and watch App beat an ACC opponent. It was going to be a great Saturday. So we, we drove to Blacksburg, we got out of the car, dro- uh, you know, walking into the stadium, find our seats, and we quickly realized that our seats were not in the App State visitor section, that... They were right in the middle of all the Virginia Tech fans. And so there we were in our black and gold, surrounded by a sea of maroon. And the crowd was going wild. And to make it all, you know, cap off the day, App State lost 66 to 13. So uh, it, was, it was brutal. It was an embarrassing loss. And as we walked out of the stadium, you know, you could feel that we, we stood out, but not in a good way, right? Not in a good way. But as we've looked at the, the life of Joseph, we see Joseph stand out. He looks different. And, and a primary reason is because he has spent the, the entirety of his adult life from age 17 on in a foreign land, in Egypt. He clearly does not feel at home in Egypt. And after a season of Egyptian, a life in Egyptian prison, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh uh, to interpret his dreams. And God gives Joseph these interpretations and then Joseph is rewarded with authority, with power, with riches, more than you could ever imagine. And to us, this might seem like the perfect ending to a story. You know, the the young man Uh, who is rejected by his family, overcomes adversity in his life. He overcomes the obstacles, and finally he gets to the position of power. That's a movie we would watch, right? The overcoming story. But that's not the end of Joseph's story. It's not the end of his life. You see, Egypt wasn't Joseph's home Joseph wasn't motivated by riches or political power. His his pursuits in life were not centered around his own comforts and his personal kingdom. His identity wasn't wrapped up in his status. No, there was a deeper longing in Joseph's life. He desired something better, something of eternal value. And, And if we're honest with ourselves this morning... We can find ourselves thinking that these worldly pursuits in life, these, this power, these riches, this fame, these will be the things that actually motivate us. While we know that this world is not our eternal home, we easily become fixated upon our own comfort and building our own personal kingdom. Sometimes we secretly want this world to be our home. We desire authority and riches and power, thinking that these things will somehow make us feel satisfied, make us feel fulfilled. But those things shouldn't be our pursuits, because our life on earth here is not the end of the story. There's more to come. And so daily, we experience this tension between living in this world, but knowing that we shouldn't set our hope in this world. And in our text this morning, we see how Joseph dealt with that same tension. And it's ultimately revealed through our our main point of the text today, which is by faith, we must seek the flourishing of our present land while we long for a better home. By faith, we must seek the flourishing of our present land while we long for a better home. Let's read our text together. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 45 Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath-paaneah and gave him a wife Asenath daughter of Potiphar priest at On and Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh king of Egypt Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout the land of Egypt During the seven years of abundance, the land produced outstanding harvest. Joseph gathered all the excess food in the land of Egypt during the seven years and put it in the cities. He put the food in every city from the fields around it. So Joseph stored up grain in such abundance like the sand of the sea that he stopped measuring it because it was beyond measure. And two two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine arrived. Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, at on, bore them to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my whole family. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in every land, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When the whole land of Egypt was stricken with famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Pharaoh told all Egypt, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Now the famine had spread across the whole region. So Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, for the famine was severe in every land. By faith, we must seek the flourishing of our present land while we long for a better home. Uh, Up to this point in Joseph's life, he really lived as a servant in obscurity in Egypt. Nobody, Nobody knew Joseph. But all of a sudden, Joseph is thrust into the spotlight and given the second highest command in all of Egypt, right below Pharaoh. And along with that promotion, he receives a name change and the gift of a wife. And we begin to see this tension building between living in this world, but not setting our hope in this world. Which leads us to our first point in our text, that Joseph was immersed into an Egyptian world. Joseph was immersed into an Egyptian world. Joseph was first given an Egyptian name, Zaphnath Peia. And, and the meaning of his new name is unclear, it's disputed, but more than likely it's associated with a pagan Egyptian deity. And then Joseph is given an Egyptian wife, Asenath, daughter of Potipharah. And by default, Joseph also receives a new father-in-law, Potiphora, priest at On. And so as the old saying goes, when you get married, you're not just marrying your spouse, you're marrying the whole family, right? For some of you, that's a great thing. For others of you, that's a burden you must bear, right? Um, Just let that sink in, okay? But Joseph's new family lives in On, which at at that time was the center of worship for the sun god. And his father-in-law, Potipharah, led the people in worship of the sun god. And so every single part of Joseph's life was becoming more deeply entrenched in Egyptian culture, whether he wanted it to be or not. This wasn't by choice, it was by force. Joseph's Hebrew identity had been essentially stripped from him. Yes, Joseph had received all the power and the authority and the riches, But this wasn't a happy ending for Joseph in Egypt. But yet this is where Joseph lived. And he had a decision to make. He could either wallow in self-pity and say, woe is me, my Hebrew identity has been taken away from me. I'm really just a slave in Egypt. Or he could make the decision to seek the flourishing of his present land. And that's what we see happen in this text. It leads us to our second point, that Joseph sought the flourishing of his Egyptian home. Instead of pursuing bitterness or anger or resentment over his state, he says, I'm going to pursue the well-being of Egypt. And he begins to prepare for the seven years of extreme famine. And verses 48 and 49 outline his plan. Joseph gathered all the excess food in the land of Egypt during the seven years and put it in the cities. He put the food in every city from the fields around it. So Joseph stored up grain in such abundance like the sand of the sea that he stopped measuring it because it was beyond measure. God gives Joseph wisdom, and he puts that wisdom to work in devising a strategic plan to save grain for the coming famine. He works with wisdom. He works efficiently. He works diligently. It sets him apart from those around him in the way that he does his work. And, and because he believes that what God said would happen was going to happen. And in fact, it was happening. Grain was growing in abundance and Joseph sought the well-being of Egypt even though it wasn't his true home. We see a similar example to this elsewhere in scripture in the book of Jeremiah. The people of God had disobeyed and rejected God's command. And so God exiles them out of Jerusalem to Babylon. And these false prophets arise and come to the people of God while they're in Babylon. And they say, don't worry, this exile is going to be really short. Two years and then God will restore you back to Jerusalem. But then God sends Jeremiah to the people and says, that's not what's going to happen. My word is that actually this exile is going to last 70 years. You're going to spend 70 years of your life in Babylon. And this is what God tells his people while they live in Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and have daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for when it thrives, you will thrive. God tells his people to seek the flourishing of Babylon, a place that was wicked, a place that hated God. He says, don't, don't sit around and mope over your condition, over you, the fact that you live here. He says, no, start a family, build a home, fill it with children, pursue the well-being of Babylon. Why? Why would God tell his people to do that? Well, as we continue through Jeremiah 29, this is what God tells them. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places where I banished you. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. God says, I know the plans. I'm not not necessarily going to tell you the plans, people of God, but I have the plans. So trust in me. Call out to me. Seek me with your whole heart. Pray to me and you will find me. Joseph did not know what God's plans were, but he knew that he could trust the Lord to work a plan for his good and for God's glory. Joseph didn't have any idea that God was sovereignly using Joseph's wise planning to save his family from a future starvation. But we see here that Joseph's faith was set in God. Not in his present circumstance, nor in his present dwelling place. Which leads us to the third point in our text this morning, that Joseph identified with the Lord. Joseph identified with the Lord. Yes, Joseph worked hard to provide for the land of Egypt, but that was not his home. Canaan was his home. Joseph longed for a a better home. The land that God had promised to his ancestors and said, you will inhabit this land of promise. That's the promise Joseph was clinging to in this moment. And his identification with the Lord is revealed through the naming of his offspring. If you remember, when Joseph was given a new name, he didn't have a choice in the matter. But now when he has two sons, he says, I'm going to name these sons Hebrew names. Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh means to forget. Joseph says, God has made me forget all my hardship and my whole family. Now, I think it's important for us to understand what what Joseph means when he says this. Joseph is not saying, family, forget about you. I'm erasing you from my life. I never want to see you again. You're done. You're dead to me. That's not what Joseph is saying here. Joseph has saying that God has helped him move on with his life. No longer will Joseph choose to be defined by what had happened to him back when he was 17 years old, when he was thrown into the pit and sold into slavery. That won't define me. God has helped me move on with my life, freed me from bitterness and resentment and anger that I hold towards my family. And church, I think there's a lot of hope right here for us. Because maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling like you're weighed down from something that's happened in your past and God says there's freedom from that. That you don't have to be defined by what happened in your past, but he can set you free from the bitterness and the resentment and the anger that you might be holding on to, because God is faithful to his promises. Joseph fully identified with the Lord who can redeem his broken situation. But then Joseph also named his second son Ephraim, which means fruitful. Joseph says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, this seems strange. You would think that Joseph would associate affliction and suffering with Canaan, right? That was where he was rejected by his family, sold into slavery, left for dead. But yet he associates Egypt with his land of affliction. Now think about it. Joseph has all the power, all the riches, all the status. He has access to anything he could ever want in life. Yet he says, this is the land of my affliction. This is not my home. Joseph's hope wasn't set in material possessions or worldly power. And we see this to be true even unto the point of his death. It is very interesting in in Hebrews chapter 11, when the author of Hebrews is commending Individuals for their faith, that Joseph is not commended for his faith during his time in Egypt, kind of working through these hard circumstances. G- Joseph is actually commended for his faith because he was faithful in death. The author of Hebrews says, By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, his ancestors, he was looking forward to the city that have foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Joseph says, Egypt is not my home. I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want you to take me out of Egypt and bury me in Canaan because that's where I belong, in the better home, in the land of promise. Joseph remained steadfast in his belief that God would be faithful, He was fully identifying with God, the one who does not break his promises. But soon after the birth of his sons, famine strikes Egypt. Just like God said would happen. Famine strikes Egypt, but not just Egypt, the whole region. And the nations are without food. And we see in our fourth point in our text that Jesus, Joseph, was sovereignly used by God to draw the nations to Egypt. God sovereignly used Joseph to draw the nations to Egypt. God knew that this famine was approaching and that all the people of the earth would need grain. So in his providence, he appointed Joseph to enact a plan so that Egypt would be the singular source of food in the entire region, which meant that every single nation would have to come to Egypt, which means that Joseph's family, who rejected him and sold him would have to come to Egypt. You see, had not Joseph been rejected by his family, sold into slavery, cast into prison, and then positioned in power, his family would have no hope during this famine. And the seed of promise that we read about back in Genesis 3.15 would have been extinguished, would have perished. But God was working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He's sovereignly at work in the life of Joseph and in the land of Egypt. By faith, we must seek the flourishing of our present land while we long for a better home. And as we look at the the life of Joseph here, we we want to remind ourselves throughout the course of this series that the life of Joseph is really pointing us ultimately to a, a greater story. And this is the story of Jesus, the true and better Joseph. So how does a passage like this point us to Christ? Well, unlike Joseph who was immersed into an Egyptian world by force, Jesus immersed himself into a sinful world by choice. God chose to come and dwell among us. He came to set us free from the curse of sin and death. And and while he was on earth, Jesus sought the flourishing of broken people. And how did he do that? Well, the primary way he did that was he proclaimed the gospel from every town and every city that Jesus traveled. He would say the same message, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus knew that the people's spiritual need far outweighed any physical need that they may have. And he proclaimed the truth of the gospel to those people. But also, Jesus sought flourishing through meeting physical needs. He healed the sick. He ate with sinners. He restored broken bodies. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He cared for widows and children. He invested his life into a group of 12 men. This world was not Jesus' home, but he loved this broken, messed up world. He sought its flourishing. But church, let's not forget that he is currently still at work today. He is still redeeming. He is still comforting, still healing. He is still helping us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is still seeking our flourishing today. And that is good news. It's good news, church. And while on earth, Jesus fully identified with his Father. Jesus was a completely Committed to bringing the Father glory. Completely committed to the will of his Father. And today, Jesus is currently drawing all the nations to himself. All the nations to himself. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus has made a way for sinners to be saved and is now drawing men and women from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language to salvation through the Son. He is at work today. Jesus is the true and the better Joseph. How how are we supposed to respond to a text like this? How do we find any application from a text like this this morning? How can we faithfully seek the flourishing of our present land while we still long for a better home? First We need to acknowledge the fact that this is not our home. This is not our home. We don't belong here. This is an imperfect place filled with suffering, and we feel the weight of that every single day. But just like we talked about in the beginning, we have been called to be exiles in a foreign land, sojourners, citizens of a different kingdom. We are simply passing through. But yet we find ourselves in a culture that doesn't doesn't want God, doesn't want anything to do with him, doesn't want us to have anything to do with God. But this is where God has us. This is where God has you. God has placed you in Raleigh in 2023. Why? Why has he positioned you, appointed you to be here at this time? So that you can seek the flourishing of the broken world you live in. And that's our second response this morning, that we are to seek the flourishing of this broken world. God has called his people to seek the well-being of the places in which we live. And so as followers of Jesus, our primary calling is to declare the gospel, declare the hope of Jesus, that he came and lived a perfect life that we could not live, that he died the death we deserve because of sin, that he rose from the dead, showing that he has power over sin and death. And people are invited now to repent and believe in him for salvation. We know that true flourishing can only come through people being transformed by the gospel. That's the only way that true flourishing will happen. And so church, are you proclaiming the gospel to the people around you? Your, your family, your, your neighbors, your co-workers? Are you concerned over their spiritual health or are you more concerned with your comfort and your personal kingdom? But it doesn't stop here. As the people of God, we are called to seek flourishing in other ways. We are are called to seek the flourishing of this broken world through establishing God-centered families. Just like God called the Israelites in Babylon to marry and have children, God has called us to be fruitful and to multiply. Church, we're to get married, have children, raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We're to model to our children what it looks like to live a life fully surrendered to God. Teach them the scriptures, pray with them, pray for them establish God-centered families. How else do we seek flourishing? We do our jobs well. We work hard. We do our school well unto the glory of God, not so that we would receive fame and power and position, but that God might be glorified. We should be employees who work with integrity, bosses who treat people with dignity and respect. But we also seek flourishing through meeting physical needs. We should care for the widows and the orphans. We should be committed to adopting and fostering children. We should give generously to those in need. These are all ways that we can seek the flourishing of where God has placed us right here, right now. We speak the gospel and we live the gospel, but we also recognize that this is not our eternal home. This isn't where we fully belong. And our third response this morning is that we are to long for a better home. We are to long for a better home. Our goal as followers of Jesus is not to accrue more money or power or fame. Our calling as believers is to make much of Jesus. To make much of Jesus. And so church, I want to press in here. I want us to examine our life this morning. What is the greatest motivation in your life? What are your greatest desires? Are you distracted? Are you in some way believing the lie that a better job or a bigger house or a nicer car is somehow going to make you feel more satisfied, more fulfilled in life? Are you fixated upon building your kingdom And seeking your comforts? Or are you committed to making much of Jesus? Now you might have an answer, but what would your spouse say about your life? What would your children say about your life? Your grandchildren say about your life? More importantly, what would God say about your life? Church, this world and everything in it is passing away. We're not taking it with us. It's passing away. We are to long for a better home. A home where there are no more tears and no more suffering. A home where we will fully be in the presence of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a home that I want to go to. I don't want to stay here forever. I want to go home. Our last response this morning is, is really a call to those that might be here today that are not followers of Jesus. Maybe you're watching online or you're here in person and you're, you're saying, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you want to know more about him, but maybe, maybe you don't. But God has you here today. And the, the, the response for you today is to draw near to God. God is currently drawing all people unto himself around the world, all the nations to himself. And so that same invitation is extended to you today. Would you repent of your sins and repent of seeking worldly pleasures to satisfy you and turn to Jesus who can only meet your needs? Turning to him who can save you and redeem your broken life, who never breaks his promises. Would you turn to him? Would you draw near to him? Would you fully surrender your life to Jesus? By faith, we must seek the flourishing of our present land while we long for a better home. What we say with Joseph this morning, come Lord Jesus and take us home. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and how it reminds us that you did not create us to just seek worldly pursuits. You created us for a much greater longing, a longing that can only be filled and met with a relationship with Jesus, being reconciled to the the one who has saved us from sin. And so, Lord, I pray now for, for those that might be in here that are wrestling with this calling. Lord, I pray you would draw near to them as they draw near to you. Lord, for those that are here that are walking with you and following after you, I pray you would help us to examine our hearts this morning. What's our greatest longing in our life? What's our greatest motivation in our life, God? Make it, make it clear to us. Convict us where we need convicting and help us to obey where you're calling us to obey. Maybe we need to let go of some of these worldly pursuits that we're running after because we know that they're really empty. And we need to instead direct our heart toward seeking flourishing spiritually and physically in our world by meeting the needs of the lost, by proclaiming the gospel, and by caring for the lost. God, help us to respond rightly this morning. Help us ultimately to remember that there's a better home awaiting those that are followers of Jesus. And help us to long for that home until the day we die or until the day Jesus comes back. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.